And uh, as we jump into the Word today, we're actually finishing up our series called Act Like a Christian. And uh, come on, everybody say, Act Like a Christian. You can do better than that. Say, Act Like a Christian. Turn to the person next to you and say, Act Like a Christian. A number of years ago, my wife, uh, this, uh, she told me, she says, listen, I want to go visit a friend in New York. New York City. And I was like, oh, yeah, no worries. And uh, so she hopped on a plane and she got this thing in her head uh, while she was there that she was going to sneak over into Chinatown. Anybody ever been to New York? Anybody know what Chinatown is? And so because uh, so, the friend had told her, you know, we can go into Chinatown and we can get some uh, some cheap high end stuff. I don't know if it's stolen or if it's a knockoff, but either way, no one will know the difference. And so she got in her head that she wanted to get her a Louis Vuitton uh, uh, suitcase. And so she, uh, so she calls me after the fact. I didn't know she was doing all this. And she said, what happened was, she's, you know, you're walking down in the little sketchy part of Chinatown, and people are like, psh, psh, Louis Vuitton, psh, psh, Louis Vuitton. And what you looking for? And so she said, and, and then you go, yeah, yeah, Louis Vuitton. And they go, this way, this way, this way. And they walk her down this sketchy corridor, down this back behind buildings and stuff. And she said, I thought I was safe because there was all kinds of other little women back there going, oh, give me one of those. Oh, give me one of those. She said, so I, I guess I had confidence they wouldn't kill that, kidnap me and kill me. And I was like, what are you doing? And so she said, you know, they get them in there. You have to hurry, 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 hurry. They get her in a little room. And they got these Louis Vuitton's. And so she buys for $100 cash. She buys a Louis Vuitton suitcase that would normally be, you know, whatever, thousand bucks or whatever it normally would be. And, uh, and she was so excited. She gets it back to the hotel room, and, uh, and she puts all her stuff in it and throws the suitcase that she brought with her in the garbage. When she goes to check out, she zips up the Louis Vuitton suitcase, and guess what happens? Yeah, the zipper breaks. You better believe it. You know Why? Because they ain't no real Louis Vuitton. That's some knockoff junk that she didn't bought and gave somebody $100. And so she gets, she gets in, she goes and buys a giant garbage bag, wraps her Louis Vuitton and all her clothes in the giant garbage bag, and checks it in at the airport. So she went from being sexy to stupid looking all in one move and spent $100 to do it, plus whatever it costs for the garbage bag. She gets it home, and she's like, you're not going to believe what I got. I was like, what did you get? She got, I got a Louis Vuitton. I was like, are you kidding me? We ain't got no money for that. What's wrong with you? She said, I only paid $100. And then she told me the story as she pulls out the garbage bag with the Louis Vuitton in it, which is exactly where it should have been from the very beginning. And so she goes, but the zipper has a little problem. And, you know, I can just about fix anything. And so I get to fool with them. And I say, baby, this, you, we, this is junk. They, like, this, throw this away. And she goes, no, no, no. So she brings it to um, these people who fix luggage and things like that. They work on it for about an hour. And they finally tell her, ma'am, I'm sorry to report this to you. But not only is this not a Louis Vuitton, because every bit other than the little, you know, the, the outside little stitching, uh, you know, little fake stitching stuff. Everything else is junk. And my suggestion to you is to throw it away. So she comes home with a busted up Louis Vuitton. And we, what do we end up doing with it? Throwing it away. Why? Because she bought a fake. The reason why we're in this series titled Act Like a Christian, what we're actually doing is we're going back to how did the early church, the original Christians, act? Because I think we live in an era now where the modern Christians don't look like Christians. I don't think we act like Christians real well. In fact, I think we've confused the world to say, I thought you were supposed to be like, I thought the zipper was supposed to work. In fact, uh, you're supposed to be so valuable and you're supposed to know God and walk with God, but you don't really act like what I thought a follower of God would act like. 
No shame to us. It's just 2,000 years later and we picked up some bad habits and we've lost some truths along the way. And so what we've done is we've gone back to the one book in the Bible titled Acts. God said, I want to show you how to act. And the book is titled Acts. It's how the early church acted. It's what the early apostles, how they acted. And so I'm calling them OCs, original Christians. And we've gone through a number of principles and things that we saw, how the early church acted, how the OCs, the original, acted. And today, as I jump into this one, all of you are going to be mad. All of you are going to want to leave the church. But it's okay, because I'm going to speak truth to you anyway. I'm just messing with you. It's going to be good. And uh, So part seven, we've titled this The Early Church and Should Be the Modern Church valued submission they valued it it wasn't a dirty word in their generation it wasn't a wicked horrific no one's going to control me concept in their in their time and it's what made the church the church in the early church so if you're with me today let's turn to acts chapter 21 you know we've been going through the book of acts grabbing and pulling what we can we couldn't do the whole 28 chapters chapter by chapter so we've just kind of been jumping through some passages in acts chapter 21 i'm gonna read in verse 10 now let me set the scene for you uh the apostle paul as we've talked about in this series um has become kind of like the guy and the book of acts really ends up talking more about him than any of the other apostles and he really as we talked about a couple weeks ago he really helped the early church with grappling with what is righteous like all right so all these jewish christians who have the torah they have the ten commandments they live in this way of engaging with god they've got all these little simple things that they do so that god can remind them i'm yours you're mine you need to circumcise all your men because that's a covenant relationship with me that means you're in relationship with me it's like getting a tattoo to be a part of a, a you know a, a fraternity or something like that you're like we're one we're in this thing and then you got these other little celebrations i'm going to have you to have and they all have these little meanings to remember our history and how i brought you through and then all of a sudden these gentiles get saved they come into the fold under the messiah jesus christ the jews are getting saved and coming under the covering of their messiah jesus but then he welcomes in the gentiles all of us and so but they begin grappling because some of the jewish leaders say oh you gentiles need to adhere to all of the all of the culture that we have as jews and and paul begins to wrestle with that and said no 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 they're saved by faith we're all saved by faith not by works not by holding to some traditions and things like that those are beautiful and they're good they're part of our culture but we can't ask the gentiles to do that and they wrestled with it and they came to the conclusion you're right we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ putting our faith and our trust in him and he extends grace to us and they don't have to keep all these other regulations but they need to stay out of sexual sin that absolutely they got to stop drinking this blood wine and eating the meat you know that uh, that were sacrificed to idols and things like that because that is just so far wicked that we can't even embrace you like that that's not a matter of you know choice that's a matter of not being right with the Lord and so we're in that position and, and so Paul has gone out and he's planting churches all amongst all the Gentiles and other Jews and all these cities but Jerusalem is the hub where all the big stuff has been happening and so as Paul ends his third missionary journey if you will he has this encounter with uh, a prophet a prophet named Agabus he comes from Jerusalem and he gives Paul a prophecy in front of all these Gentile believers who love him and Jewish believers and so let's pick up there in verse 10 it says and after we had been there a number of days a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea coming over to us he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles so he prophesies listen if you go to Jerusalem they're gonna take you they're gonna imprison you 
And then ultimately, they're probably going to kill you because they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. Now, all of the congregants of all the churches he, he had planted, especially this particular group of people, the, the church that he planted. And it says, it says, and when we heard this, verse 12, we and the people there pleaded with Paul, do not go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm already not only to, excuse me, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he could not or would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done then. If that's what you're going to do, bro, it breaks. We don't want you to go and die for the kingdom. We don't want you to go and be tortured. We don't want you to go and have this horrific experience. But at the same time, if you are set on, on following the Lord in this, then, then let the Lord's will be done. If we skip down then to verse 17, it says they arrive at Jerusalem. It says, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had been doing among the Gentiles through his ministry. So he just started telling them, you're not going to believe this. Dude, these Gentile people, you know, these guys who still don't really look like, you know, like we do. Man, they are having miracle signs and wonders. They're preaching the gospel in the streets. People are getting saved. Blind eyes are getting opened. I mean, God is all over this thing. The churches, we're birthing churches. Every little town we go into, and when we head out to Cleburne, I mean, next thing you know, we've been in, in, sitting around in a restaurant. People are starting to get saved in the restaurant, and then we started a church there. We started meeting in this lady's house every Friday night, and then it, and we moved it to Monday nights as well. It's just been crazy, all these miracles. In verse 20, it says, when they heard this, they praised God. So all the Jewish believers like this is awesome all the Jewish believers like this is what they begin to praise God then they said everybody say then they said then they said said, but we got to talk to you have you ever been in a situation with somebody and they're talking talking telling you oh that's so good but we need to talk about something that's what's happening right here oh that's great Mm -hmm. oh that's great (laughs) but we need to talk to you about something that you've done something that's happening here that maybe you're unaware of and it says it says uh, let's pick up there Uh, when I heard this I lost my spot Um, Oh, and they said, uh, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. So that's great that this is happening to the Gentiles. But here in Jerusalem, something has shifted. I know months ago, we were all persecuted and we all scattered. But now all of a sudden, something's happening here in Jerusalem. And all these Jewish guys are starting to believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, their Savior. And all of them are zealous for the law. So we're getting all these hardcore, zealous Judaizers. They're getting saved. They're following the Messiah. But they're holding on to the land. we got to be pure. we got to follow the law of Moses. He says they are all into it. And he says, and they have, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. So what shall we do? It's not really a question. It's just like, hey, it's just part of the conversation. Uh, They will certainly hear that you have come. And so do what we tell you. Hey, bro, listen, um, you've been out there preaching and doing so good. And that's awesome about about the Gentile stuff. But what has been coming back to everybody is that you're actually telling the other Jews that are getting saved. That they don't no longer have to uh, hold to the law of Moses. They don't have to circumcise their children, which you know culturally is not cool. And literally, these people are so zealous, even though they've come to Christ, they're liable to try to kill you. I mean, our church is growing. we got a lot of people getting saved, but they don't like that. 
and they don't know if you're a lot if you're a fake or a liar they're not sure where to put you in what category we know you're the real deal but uh, this is what we're gonna do and they literally tell him they said this do what we tell you there are four men with us who have made a vow take these men join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law as for the gentile believers we've already dealt with that we've already written to them uh you know our decision that they should abstain from food sacrifice to idols from blood from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality verse 26 the next day paul sent a letter back to the leaders of jerusalem do you know who i am I'm a head apostle. I have seen Jesus myself. I have, that's not what he does, by the way. Just want to help you in case you weren't reading scripture. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. He submits. I want to point out to you these two pieces of submission that we see in this passage here in chapter 21 that Paul does. First thing that we see him submitting to is he submits to hardship. He submits to hardship for the sake of purpose. The man who owns this belt is about to go through something. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to have hardship. It's going to be difficult. Listen, I'm telling you, the original Christians had no problem submitting to hardship if it created purpose for the kingdom. If it was purposeful for the kingdom. They're like, all right, Lord, my life is not my own. You are the Lord of my life. And if it means that I've got to give up my house, my cars, my life, it doesn't matter. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I will embrace hardship. I live in a generation of Christians now that if it requires any kind of hardship or difficulty, they're like, peace, I'm out. I didn't sign up for this. Ah. Ah. I'll just go back to the other way I was living. Or the church didn't do me wrong. I've been church hurt. Listen, welcome to hardship. Welcome to life. Welcome to just living. Difficulties happen for believers. Jesus said, in this life, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And this is the problem is that we, in our modern generation, really struggle to submit to anything difficult. Because you know what? Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for difficult. I want an easy life. I want a safe life. I don't want any difficulty. Because I tell you, I've told Jamie, put this on my tombstone. Safety, security, comfort is the enemy of the supernatural. You can't see the supernatural things of God while running around just trying to play it safe. It doesn't work. Christianity is about following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into wicked, difficult, horrible situations and let him shine out in the middle of it. And the whole world going, I don't know what that is, but I've never seen anything like that. This is why we are different. We are Christians. And Paul embraced it. He said, I will submit to this difficulty. Don't break my heart. He says, stop. Stop begging and pleading for me not to go. He says, because I've not already decided that I'll go face hardship, but I'm willing to die. My life is not my own. I will not just embrace the hardship. I will not just submit to whatever difficulty might come my way. Because I know in all of it, God has a purpose. God has a plan. And can I tell you what happens with Paul in this whole thing? He does like we read. Uh, he goes and he does all these sacrificial things. Well, continue on in the story here in chapter 21. They see him. A group of wicked guys see him. Falsely accuse him. Start a riot. The Romans have to come in to stop the riot. Paul stands up in front of everyone with the Roman soldiers there, and he starts preaching to them about Jesus. They get more mad. He ends up in prison, 
And he spends four, excuse me, almost five years in prison. Over the next five years, he's in prison. His, his, his uh, safety is taken away. His security is taken away. His comfort is taken away. Some of the time he's on house arrest. Some of the time he's in a prison cell. But let me tell you what he does in those five years of being in prison and embracing hardship and submitting to hardship. Oh, I don't know. He writes Philippians. He writes Ephesians. He writes Colossians, Philemon. Some of the most critical passages of Scripture in our New Testament are coming from a place of hardship. I've never been to the churches that he planted. I've never met Eutychus, who he raised from the dead. But the things that he wrote and did in the midst of hardship 2,000 years later are changing my life. I need you to understand that in hardship, something beautiful can come from it. And if you'll just submit to it, and you say, Lord, I don't submit to the devil at work in this, but Lord, anything you're doing in the midst of this, I know you're going to turn it around for good, for my well-being, and for your well-being, for the kingdom. And if the kingdom goes forward, Lord, then here's my life. Here's my life. Use it how you will. This is a level of maturity that most Christianity, Christians in my generation have never even thought about getting to. And this is what the early church, this is what the OCs, how they live. They were like, oh, submit to it. And then we look down, and not only does he submit like that, but then Paul submits to leadership in the verses 17 through 26. He comes into Jerusalem, and these guys pull him in and say, listen, bro, I know you're doing a great work. This is awesome testament. Ooh, so good. Yay. But look, we got problems. Because we're also in the middle of revival. But we're getting all of these religious guys saved. We're getting all of these hardcore Judaizers saved. They're hardcore, dude. They're zealous. They use the word zealous. They are zealous for the law. And they have been lied to and told that this guy, guy named Paul is out there telling all the other Jewish believers that they don't have to continue walking in the ways of our people. Paul's probably like, I, didn't, I don't do that. You know I don't do that. We know that. But here's what you're going to do. They don't ask him. They don't appeal to him. They say, this is what you're going to do. Paul is not under their direct leadership. By all accounts, Paul is a greater apostle than any of these guys. By all accounts, he is a theologian of theologians. He has been trained under Gamaliel. He has spent multiple years in isolation, just him and God, him and Jesus, working through doctrine. None of these guys have ever been attributed to, I'm talking about James and these other elders. None of these other guys have been attributed to that they've raised anybody from the dead. Paul has raised the dead. That's pretty significant. You know, good and well, if we had some brother come or some sister come and testify at the church, yeah, I've raised the dead. We'd all be like, ooh, ooh. Can you pray? I got a little bump right here on the back of my elbow. Ooh. By all accounts, he is a giant amongst shrimp. And yet when they ask him or tell him this is what he should do, he submits to it. He says, okay. And he goes through this purification process, takes these guys they shave their heads. And this, was, uh, this is something that they would do in Jewish tradition, that if you were serious about a change in your life, you would do like this Nazarite vow kind of thing. Paul had already shaved his head a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 18. He's going through something, and he's like, I'm committed to God. And this is probably this whole thing of going to Jerusalem. And so he's already shaved his head, but he's got about 30 days to go and kind of solidify that um, you know, in Jewish you know, uh, authorities, you know, the priest uh, at the temple and all. And so, and so they say, hey, these guys need to do something like that. You pay for it. So Paul, not only does he go with them into a public place, but he also pays for their purification rites and their, and their Nazarite vow that they're committing to. And he's right there in the middle of it saying, I'm a part of this whole thing as well. So he pays for it. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm sitting around going, guys, we know we don't have to do any of this. 
We are saved by faith. The spirit of the living God lives inside of us. All of these little traditional things, they don't bring anything great. We don't have to light candles and crawl on our knees. We don't have to do all that anymore. But Paul doesn't do it. He goes, okay, I'll do it. And he submits. Doesn't complain. Nowhere in scripture does it say he pushes back. He just simply submits. I know it's a dirty word in our generation. But I want you to understand something. The early church valued submission. They saw it as beautiful. They saw it as the way of God. They saw it as something to be treasured. So I want to give you a couple thoughts. Who did the early church, the OCs, the original Christians, submit to? Where's the, where's the biblical soundness in that? Well, let me give you a couple that we see in Scripture. The first persons that they submitted to was the Lord. The original church, they understood, we submit to God. We submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We submit to the Holy Spirit. God, three in one. We submit to Him. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That sounds so like, oh, absolutely, pastor. We're in church. We submit to God. Well, but, but do we? One of my biggest issues with Christians is that they every Christian I've ever met, oh, I want to go to heaven. Oh, yeah, I, I want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But then when we get into the lordship pieces, like he's Lord. See, he's the Lord of my money. So I submit to him. He's the Lord of my children. They're his children. He's the Lord of my wife. He's the Lord of my everyday job and everything that I do throughout the He's the Lord. So if he tells me to go left, I go left. If his Bible says do this, I do that. This has been the problem that we've seen, especially over the last three years with Christians fighting Trump, no Trump, vax, no vax, black lives matter, blue lives matter, something, blah, blah, blah. And the whole issue was about lordship. And there is only one king, friends. His name is Jesus. He's not coming back on a donkey, and he's not coming back on an elephant. He's coming back on a white horse. You better get it straight and he didn't get elected he was established as the king of kings and the lord of lords he's not my buddy he's not my friend he is god and this is our issue and so the early church didn't have any problem he's lord let's submit we on the other hand is like he's only lord when i want him to be i'm really lord like, oh, I go when I want to go to the body of believers. If I don't feel like it, if I don't see it or I don't sense it, we really have an issue submitting to the Lord. And I'm telling you, I'm, every day I wake up and reestablish, Lord, I submit to you. My life is not my own. It's the reason why I can be your pastor. I don't, Lord, it doesn't matter if, they, if someone stabs me, if someone falsely accuses me. I'm yours. I submit to you. Here's a second, if you will, group that the OC submitted to, and that is they submitted one to another. Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit one to another out of reverence to God. Can you imagine a church body in the modern world that submit to each other? That just submit to each other. I mean, we've had times where I've asked, hey, hey, can you go, go mention to some of the people out in the foyer that are like faithful members to the church, if they can move their car around back. We've got so many new people coming. We're running out of parking spaces in the front. And you can't imagine how much problem we create with that. <laughs> Pastor Adam asked me if you wouldn't mind. Who are you? Pastor Adam ain't standing here telling me to move. That. Why I got to move? Why I got to move? We will not submit one to another. I'm telling you, can you imagine a church where a brother can walk up to another brother and say, bro, man, I love you, but bro, you know, we've been doing small group life together. I just need to mention to you, man, the way you treat your wife in public is not cool, bro. It's not cool. Already, think that through. What rises up in all of us modern Christians? Don't tell me nothing. <laughs> I know who you think you are. 
I don't know who died and made you king. The early church, the original Christians would be like, brother, thank you. Thank you for caring about me enough to watch out for me. We all got blind spots, and I need you in my life. Thank you. They submitted because the Bible told them to. So they submitted one to another. The apostle Paul looked at these guys and said, okay, if that's what's best for the kingdom, I don't even, even if it makes me, even if it humiliates me to go do what you other little guys are asking me to do, I submit to you as unto the Lord. Can you imagine a church like this? This is why they had signs and wonders. This is why they had miracles. This is why they had daily salvations. There's a reason why we don't have that. Like, what's wrong with America? I can tell you what's wrong. Why don't we see miracles? I can tell you what's wrong. It comes back to this key principle that they lived out in the early church that we don't live out. We do not value submission. We think it's wicked. We think it's evil. We think it's horrific. We think it's domineering. This is all the things that have been programming in our brain over the last 2,000 years about what submission really looks like. We've seen people mishandle submission. We've seen authority be evil. And so as a result, we don't submit. And so here's the third group that we see the OCs, the original Christians, submitting to. And that is they submitted to the authorities. Ooh, I know. Don't throw anything yet. Let me get through it. <laughs> Romans chapter 13 and verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Therefore, it is necessary to what? Submit to who? Ooh. I think he messed up in his Bible, don't you? God must not have missed, meant this. King James must have misappropriated this passage. Oh, wait, this is not King James Version. This is going back to the original Greek and retranslated by our modern times in NIV. In fact, let's jump back up to the verses before it. In verse 2 of Romans 13, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is why I pray that every sold-out Christian would get in positions of authority in our government. Because the Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in leadership, we all mourn. This is why. I recognize there is some wicked people in authority. Wicked people. But as I read through this whole Romans 13 passage, you know what he actually says? It's mine to avenge. Those who are wicked in authority, I got them. Don't you worry about it. You just submit. Yeah, but I don't want to be, Lord. I just say, I'm going to get killed again by the authorities. I just give my life. I have no voice. Your voice is through Jesus. And he will, listen, he will cause their hearts to stop beating in their bedroom at night. He is the king of glory. He watches after his people. And this is a, I know this is a tough place, but the early church had a value for submission. They valued it. The modern church struggles to value submission. Here's the fourth group that they, through scripture, we see that they submitted to, and that was church leadership. I know, don't wait. Just keep your potatoes and, and, and tomatoes. Don't throw them at me yet. It's easy for you to say you're the lead pastor. It's not easy for me to say. Because what, look what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For, what would be, uh, um, for that would be of no advantage to you. And there's another passage that says, For those in leadership in the church will be more harshly judged. I never, You know why I didn't want to be married? Because I knew that as the leader of my house, that I've got to have a woman submit to me. If she submits to me and I mess it up, he's going he's to beat me and not her. Like, that's what he says. He is so hard on those of us that are in authority because he expects us to do righteous by, our, by the people we give oversight to. 
And I know we've seen so many bad pastors. And so, but the, that, that small percentage of bad pastors gets all the rep. And all these good godly men and women who just love well and are faithful to their posts and just sacrifice day in and out. We don't talk about them. We don't talk about the 95% of churches in America that are under 200 people and the pastors who've been at their post for 30 years loving a bunch of rebellious sheep, caring for them, getting their face beat in, and just staying at their post. We don't talk about those guys. Well, we want to make a big deal out of the one or two, the five or six, the 10 or 20 that were wicked and evil. But the early church valued submitting to the church leadership. They sought for just what it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you. They understood the value of having someone watching over me, having someone ahead of me, having someone that's a few steps ahead of me in life, having someone that spiritually has been given a position kind of like at the lookout tower who can look down and go, oh, go this way. Demons over here. Nobody can tell me what to do. (laughs) I see just fine. Okay, we'll go on head that way. I have had a hard time seriously being in spiritual leadership in people's life because at this many years, 30-something plus years of being in full-time ministry and trying to help people, I I have at times become a little skewed. Sit down to try to help someone, try to protect them, watching over them, and they push back and say, no, they're not going to listen, they're not going to submit. I have literally at times said, okay, great, hope it works out, knowing that they're heading for a cliff. Not getting in between you then because God himself gave you free will. And so I'm not going to force my will on your will. I'm trying to help you, but, you know, go do it. Go do that thing. Hope it works out. Love you. Nobody going to control me. I don't want to control you. I just want to get to heaven. I just want to hear, well done. This is the beauty of pure, good, godly leadership. You have that in this house. And I'm not just talking about myself. We've got a set of pastors and small group leaders, our core people, who are just like, we love you. I don't want to dominate you. I don't want to demean you. I just want to get you there. So let me give you a couple, if you will, misconceptions about submission. This is, seems to permeate not only our culture, but even within the church. Here's the first big misconception about uh, submission, and that is, is that uh, I'm supposed to blindly submit if I'm going to submit. So it's this choice of either don't submit or blindly submit. That's what people think it is like. That's a misconception about submission. I mean, you're, I would never tell you to blindly submit to someone. That's, cru- that, that's crazy. That's how you end up in a cult. Like, I know he's sleeping with a bunch of the women in the church, but I, I guess he's in charge. Like, are you kidding me? Are you out of your ever-living mind? I don't blindly to submit to anyone. I, with eyes wide open, submit as unto the Lord. I, I, I don't go into that. You should never go into that. You, 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 and, and then here's the other thing. If you're in conflict with someone uh, that's, that's in an authority over you, whether it be at a job or whether it be, you know, uh, in your home or whether it be in, 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 in church life, you need to learn to wisely appeal. I taught my kids this from the very beginning. Let me tell you how, how it operated in Hill City. Our kids, you know, ended up in the kids' ministry. You know, they grew, and we were starting this church, and we had a kids' minister, kids' leaders kind of thing. And I'll never forget one of them came home one time and said, guess what they told me to do? To me, the lead pastor. Guess what they told me to do, Dad? That's not right, is it? I said, ho, 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 ho. Let me tell you how Jamie and I operated. Who's in charge? The kids' ministry. Well, they are. Who put them in charge? You did, so you can fuss at them. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to understand authority. God put them in that place. Our leadership team validated that authority, and we gave that authority as a group to them, and God himself gave them. And I submit to the authority that they've been given not only by God but by me. 
And so if they say you're bad and you need to do this, I submit to the authority that I've given them. Even though I'm there on a flow chart, they're boss. And you're going to submit to it as well. But this is wrong and it's right. And they would say some things like, ooh, that probably is wrong. Hmm. And I would then tell them, well, let me teach you how to wisely appeal. Did you catch them in the hallway and threw out a little something while they were in the middle of doing 10 other things? Maybe. Go back, ask them for a private moment just to have a five-minute conversation with them, and then appeal. Say, listen, you mentioned this to me to do, and can I just say, uh, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, but can I maybe mention that this, could we maybe think about doing it this way? I've taught my kids how to do that. And so my kids, people say, man, your kids are the greatest. They're a real Christian. Yes. It comes down to this. Because in the church world, what we've done with our, all these little, these little blessings, these little, little princes and princesses, is we told them they don't have to submit to anybody. And then we don't understand why they end up in jail when they're 23 years old. We don't understand why we are fro- so frustrated that they won't listen to us. And then we get so angry because they won't listen to us. Well, you started that when they were little. And you never taught them to submit to anybody. And so how much, what a great place in the church that we can watch out for each other. And, so, and I literally would tell my son, son, go, go shake that man's hand. I don't want to shake the man's hand. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to bless you right here in front of everybody. <laughs> and I'd force him to. And now my son walk right up to him. How you doing? My name's Cohen. But I had to work that out, and he worked it out through submission and helping each other. Are you still there? Say yes. Here's a second misconception about submission, and that is submission empowers dominance and abuse. That's a misconception. Submission doesn't cause you to be dominated by somebody. If somebody's dominating you, you need to get out of that. If someone's abusing you, you need to get out of that. Sir, if you're abusing your wife, just let me know. The elders are coming to your house at some point. But seriously, you should never be being dominated or abused. God doesn't dominate you. He woos you to come love him. He kindly offers his oversight to you. He doesn't force you to do anything. You didn't wake up this morning and want to go play golf, but all of a sudden, I'm having to go to church. I can't stop my hands from putting on makeup. That didn't happen to you. He didn't dominate you. He woos us. I'm a good father. Come let me lead you. No one should dominate you. That's a misconception of what real submission is. Here's a third thing that's a misconception I've found in our culture and even in the church. And that is, I only submit as long as I agree. (laughs) If I agree with you, then I'll submit to you. Otherwise, nope. That's not submission. I don't know what that is, but it's not submission. It's not submitting one to another. It's not submitting to the Lord. It's not submitting to those in authority. It's not submitting to church leadership with that, that, that concept. That's not submission. And I'll never forget when I grappled with this for the first time at 19 years of age. I got hired on at a mega church. I was the assistant youth pastor. So excited. I got on staff, and the rest of all my buddies did not get on staff. Ha, ha, ha. I'm more holy. Ha, ha, ha. ha I'm the greatest. I get on staff. One of the first things the youth pastor wanted me to do, he came up with this, the stupidest idea I'd ever heard in my life. It's about this time in the summertime in Louisiana. So you think Texas is hot? Add a bunch of humidity to it. This is, what the, this is what the youth pastor came up with, and he wanted me to be in charge of it and my name to be on it. He said, listen, this is what I got. Here's what I want us to do. He says, I want us to plan a youth event up at the church on a Saturday. We're going to call it a sports day. I'm like, okay, let's go. He goes, but I want to make it work for people who aren't good at sports. All right, so we're going to do a sports day. For non-athletes. Okay. Well, keep, keep pitching it to me. He goes, so we're going to do things like, um, like get everybody in teams. And they can lay on the ground and spell Jesus with their bodies. 
I was like, in July. <laughs> and I mean, the grass is not grass. It's prickly thorn stuff. He's like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. I was like, uh, okay, what else? He goes, and then we'll get a golf club. And we'll get guys that can hit the ball, and we'll put a mannequin out in the field, and if anyone can hit it. And then we'll do something with Frisbees, because um, anybody can throw a Frisbee. And all these little, they were the worst ideas I'd ever heard in my life. They were horrible. And so I started pushing back. Well, what about this? What about this? And I, I don't know. And he, started, he goes, finally got frustrated with me, because I was not buying into the vision. It was a stupid vision, and I knew it was a stupid vision. And that's why you hired me, because I'm an expert. Because I'm 19 and I know what sucks, you're old now. This is my attitude. This is my way of thinking. And I said, uh, and so, so I pushed back. Finally, he got frustrated. He said, do what I told you to do. And he walked out the room. And so in those days, you know, even making a flyer, you couldn't just type it out. You had to go to the copy machine, get a piece of clip art off of a book, photocopy that, cut it out, put it on another piece of paper. And so I've got to make this flyer that sounds cool for the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And so that night, I come home, and I'm all mad about it. Like, I'm not doing this. This is dumb. And married to a godly woman. She goes, I think you should pray about it. I was like, I don't need to pray about nothing. It's stupidity. So I go, all right. I'll go in my back room. I start praying. Lord, would you just help convince him he's wrong? Would you show a better way? This is going to fail. Because I'm thinking, this is my first big event, and my name's on it. Nobody's going to show up. What, what teenager's coming out on a Saturday to do stupid stuff? It's not happening. And we're going to ask him to pay $10 so they can have lunch. It's not going to happen. It's just the worst idea ever. And I'm praying about it, praying about it, praying about it. And all of a sudden, I hear the voice of the Lord so well. He said, does not my teaching tell you to submit to those in authority over you? And I said, but Jesus, you would never submit to Satan. <laughs> and that's what this feels like. And he smacked me once. Wop out, wop out, wop out. He goes, you will never be able to really follow me. If you can't submit to those that I have put in positions of authority. If you can't submit to them, how can you truly submit to me? And then he said, not only that, you better have a good attitude about it. I said, ah. Oh. Holy Spirit worked me over a little bit. Showed up the next day at the office. I was like, I'm so excited about sports day. And I just started making this sport. I started going around to every young person for the next couple of days. Man, we're going to have a sport. It's going to be so on the middle of the going to spell Jesus out there. It's going to be awesome. And all the cool kids are like, uh, this sounds stupid. No, it's going to be a man. I mean, I'm selling ice to an Eskimo. I'm out there, man. I'm pitching it. God's in it. He's going, I didn't even believe it, but I'm pitching it. The Lord's going to do it. He's going to do a miracle. He's going to be amazing. He's going to be phenomenal. Guys, we get there that Saturday. We do this thing for five hours in the heat. Kids are passing out. I'm sending them. No, I'm just kidding. But they are, they're all getting overheated. Man, they're making Jesus out on, the, out on the field. They're trying to hit golf ball. They're throwing Frisbees. All the nerdy kids thought it was the greatest thing. All the athletes started turning. They're like, this is pretty cool they all came together brought unity to our youth group it was one of the best events we ever did Hallelujah. came down to one thing I submitted Hallelujah. and when I saw that and God told me he said I will take a bad idea and make it amazing if you will submit yeah. so good. he said look at the miracle I can do with just one guy truly submitting and from that point on I was like let's go yeah. whatever the pastors came up with let's go I would push back like hey, you ever thought about this and, that, and sometimes you know they were like oh that's a better idea but they saw the submission in my life, in Jamie's life, and the Lord just used it all to blow up. You still there? Say yes. Yeah. Here's the last little misconception about submission, and that is we only submit if the person's worthy. That's in all of our thought process. 
The moment we deem that person not worthy, we see their humanity, we see their mistakes, we're like, I'm not submitting to them. I know that guy ain't got it all together. But can I just help you with that? There is no one worthy. So that means you don't submit to anyone. It makes you God of the world. There's nobody worthy. There's only one. His name is Jesus. He's the only one worthy to be submitted to. The rest of us are a bunch of imperfect knotheads doing our best to serve God. That's, this is why pastors don't get close to people. Because they have this understanding. Once people see my humanity, they'll then reject and not submit to me. And so that's why they don't get close. I was taught this in Bible school. My professor taught me, don't get close to the sheep. Called, it, called you sheep. Don't get close to them because they'll see your weaknesses and they'll disrespect you. And so you won't have authority in your own house. So that's why you've got to <coughs> extract yourself from being close to them. Because if they ever see behind the veil, if they ever see, I'm the great Oz, if they ever see behind the veil, they won't ever respect you. And you'll lose control of the ministry. That's what I was taught. But I kept reading through scripture and Jesus is right there with them. And so I just decided, well, wait a minute, Lord, I'm pursuing you, and I know I'm not perfect, and I know i got some flesh left, and I know some of that flesh has to get crucified on a daily basis. But if you can't cover my flesh, and if people won't submit to my, my leadership that you've given me, <clears throat> then we're already destroyed. So I'm going to just be me the best I can. I'm going to get close to people and love people deeply. And I'm going to be in their life. They're going to see my weaknesses. I'm going to see their weaknesses. And we're going to walk this thing out together. And we're going to submit to one to another as unto the Lord. And that's how this church was birthed. It was birthed from breaking this concept that we only submit to those that we deem worthy. There is no one. You're going to. And so what I've watched people do is come into this church and they're constantly looking for whatever leader they've kind of connected with in small groups. And they're constantly looking for their weakness. And then they find it. You can see them. Then they find it. (laughs) And then some of them begin to share with everybody else. And they start kind of like they start creating this discontentment. They create this discontent because it makes them feel good to not have to truly submit because I know that you're broken. And I only truly submit in my heart to those who are perfect, who are worthy. There's no one worthy. Listen, I I submit to police officers that I don't trust a flying flip. But they've been given a position. The Lord told me to submit to them. Then I got great police officers that I know, like some sitting in here. They... Here's my kids, here's my heart, here's my kidney. Trust you in anything. Submit to them the same way I submit to those that I don't really trust. Keeping an eye on. Keeping an eye on. This is what the early church did. This is what the original Christians looked like. This is how they lived. They valued submission. So I'm gonna give you close out here with a couple benefits of submission so that you can kind of rise to the occasion. So uh, first benefit of submission, biblical submission, first benefit makes Jesus happy. It makes Jesus happy when we submit. You know why it makes, it hap- makes him happy? Because he is submitted to the Father. He's submitted to the Father. He said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. Whatever the Father says, I do it. The biblical concept of rebellion, do you know what the Bible calls rebellion? The sin of witchcraft. It calls it the sin of witchcraft. It's witchcraft when we, re- when we rebel. So when we submit, it makes Jesus happy. He's like, that's my people. That's my people. It makes us different than the rest of the world. It's what causes us to stand out. And when you, when you submit, and they go, people around you are like, you don't have to listen to that guy. He ain't, got, he, ain't, he ain't nobody. Yeah, but in my faith, my faith teaches me, the, the God that I serve teaches me to submit, even if I don't necessarily always agree. And they're like, who are you? You're like, right. <laughs> Makes Jesus happy. Do you know why? 
Because when we submit, it creates oneness. And oneness really is the result of submission. Here's the second benefit of biblical submission. Write this down. It unifies the body. It literally brings us together. Literally brings us together. I, um, some of you know this, I, I live on a, a little bit of acreage, and um, the, the, the people who live next to us, their property connects to our property, um, they have sheep. And we have to drive down a little gravel road past their couple acres with their sheep. And my wife, like half the time, I'm like, like you were supposed to be home five minutes ago, what are you doing? And she's out, in the, out on the little gravel road looking at the sheep and talking to the sheep. And this is the greatest little sheep. Well, these, this, this family, they've, they've become our friends, and they, man, they got a small business. Uh, the, the father a, a, is a police officer. They've got two little small girls. They're the cutest thing, and they, and they got this property, and they, the girls probably wanted some sheep, and now they've got like 15 or 20 of them because uh, they like rabbits. They make more babies, and they just keep having them, and, and they, they're on about an acre of land, and these sheep have sucked anything green off of this acre of land. They are literally living in a mud pit. And, and the little family does all they can. They get hay out there. And so you see them, they're out there eating a little dry hay that came on. And just across from them is my mother and father-in-law's property. And they've got a couple acres that has never been cut. They've got grass growing everywhere. In fact, let me just show you a little bit of footage. I grabbed it yesterday uh, on my way to the house. Play that. I want them to see. Now notice on this side of the fence, on that side, on the other side of the fence is our family's property, and it's green. There's acres of green grass that's overgrowing that I don't have time to cut for my family. There are bushes that could be trimmed by some beautiful little sheep. And, and so a couple months ago, we, we went over next door and said, listen, um, you, you got no, nothing green. And the sheep are sitting there like, please, help us. We want to get over there. Please. And it's breaking my wife's heart. All right. So listen, would you be open to, and my mother and father-in-law, their property obviously used to have sheep or goats because they've got, it's, that two acres is completely fenced in. It's got goat fencing, they call it. And so we were like, listen, would you, would you want them to come over? It would help us. I mean, keeps, you know, you know, you know, they'll eat down all the, all the, you know, the, overgrown stuff and and they were like uh i mean it's kind of hard to move sheep but uh let's think about it they came back a week later and said yeah let's try it and so we man we got so excited they opened the little thing and we herded them all over to our property and guys i'm telling you within two hours they're all laying on their side like this is this is the greatest we're living the dream Day two, I ride by. Listen, they're not even eating anything anymore. They had so much. They're living in it's like paradise. I mean, they're just, they're just like, they're so fat. They can't move. They've been eating green. I mean, they went from eating, you know, uh, McDonald's, and now they're eating, uh, I mean, they're eating steak and potatoes. They're living the dream, man. Like, they're not even hungry. Like, they're just laying around in the shade. Like, this is the greatest moment ever. But day two, something happened. There's this one little female knothead of a lamb. She gets to looking. And she goes, what about that property right there? Why can't I have some of that? She's sitting in green foliage going, but what about right there? Why is this fence here? 
And she finds a way. I don't know if she climbs it. I don't know if she took a 24 hours to dig a hole. We can't find it. We don't know how she did it. But she gets out. She gets out, and all the other little sheep are like, what's she doing over there? And she's over here. Oh, look over here. I'm where I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> There's no protection. The coyotes. She's out there. She don't know it. She just knows, I don't want to be with everybody else because this looks really nice. And I'm a leader. And no one recognizes my leadership. So she breaks out of the beautiful paradise that we've created for her. And she gets over there. We go get her. We get her back. Come on now. This is good. And she's like, oh, okay. And she goes around till the end of the day. And we find her again. She's broken out of it again. But this time, she's got one of the little stupid ones to follow her. We don't know how. I mean, walk the property, look for holes. In, can't, don't know how she's doing it. Have no idea how she's doing it. But now she's got another. So now it takes us about 30 minutes to wrangle her and the other one back. We get them back in the pen. The next day, same thing. The owners are finally like, look, if she keeps doing this, we'll lose the whole herd. Let's bring them back to the dead space where she can't get out. Now, if you actually study herding sheep, at this point, what a shepherd typically do will go break her legs. It's common practice. Break her legs. And they'll just put her in the middle of it. And she, all she can do is kind of crawl from grass to grass. She can't move with the herd. And then once her legs heal, if she gets up and does it again, then they, then they ultimately have to eat her. They have to get rid of her. They have to do away with her. Because she'll pull everyone in the same direction. They should just keep pulling them all in the same direction. And this is the understanding of why God says, listen, submit one to another. Stay together in this thing. Submit to the leadership that I put in your life. They know the best field for you. That might look good over there. And, and you might think that that's good. But they're seeing from a different vantage point, And they know that space over there doesn't belong to them. They know that space over there is not how they have to do it. They know that space over there has different enemies that they're not even prepared to defend you against. Because they need you over here in a safe place. And they're good shepherds. They're good leaders who will keep you filled and in good grass. Stop always having this rebellious thing where you got to jump over and try something. Something else and propagating this disunification in the body of Christ. Man, can I tell you? I can't tell you how many times people come to our church. They love it. They're here for about four months. This is the greatest. And then they start, well, why don't we do this? Well, why don't y'all have a such and such? Well, why do you have? I mean, look where I came from. Well, where you came from, so good, go back. But what God put in us to do, we have to be faithful for. Because I got to give an account to it. And our leaders have to give an account. So it's always amazing to me how people have this thing inside. They don't even know it. They, no one means it. But there's this rebelliousness like, I am just content with being comfortable in the, in the body of believers here. Let me try something else. And Frank, can I tell you, godliness with contentment is great gain. And you say, you know what? I might would do it different, but this is where God has me. And I'm submitted to those guys. I'm submitted to those ladies. And you know what? I wouldn't do it that way. Where I came from did a little bit different. But this is good. This is good. I'm growing. I'm maturing. Let me just stay submitted. It brings such, such beautiful unity in the body of Christ. And here's the last piece that it does. And that is it protects us from attack. When we're in submission, we got people that give oversight to us and help us and watch out for us. It protects us from attack. Can I just say this to you? I wouldn't be married to nobody who doesn't submit to spiritual authority. 
I wouldn't be married to this woman if she didn't submit to spiritual authority. Because how am I going to, if no one can correct her, she ain't going to listen to me. I'm telling you, I have counseled these couples where that dude thought he was God to the family and his way was the right way and the only way. No one could tell him anything. No one could correct him. Man, I've seen these ladies. No one can correct. No one at church can say, hey, I'm concerned about this. And, and this, this thing inside of them, maybe from childhood, whatever it is, it causes them to like, you, know, like, you, like, you can't tell me what to do. It's God has a submit for protection to have others watching our back. I don't want to go this thing alone. I need people. Watch. I have a pastor. I'm submitted to him. Years ago, this church met on Sunday nights. It's twofold reason. Number one, because I was traveling full time, so I could go preach at a mega church on, on, on Sunday morning. I could fly back in Sunday night and do our services and, and pastor you guys throughout the week. That was our plan. It was a good plan. And, uh, but we hit this wall where, where we were winning people to Jesus, but they really were struggling to come to a, a gathering, weekly gathering that was on a Sunday night. They had school the next day. And man, we did this for years trying to make Sunday night work. I had a vision. I couldn't stand the organized church in America. I felt like it was fake. It was all about, you know, uh, smoke machines and all this kind of stuff. Where's real genuine discipleship? I liked it better face-to-face in homes, doing life together kind of thing. But I recognized as we were winning people to Jesus that they needed a gathering to validate that we were a real church. And so I was struggling with this thing. I was struggling with this thing. And my pastor is a mega church pastor. He's got 18 campuses. He's got big buildings. I mean, he's a phenomenal man of God. He's the greatest. And I'll never forget, I sat down with him. I said, Pastor, uh, Pastor Rick, I don't know uh, I'm struggling, you know. It's like we're winning people to Jesus out on the streets and in small group life. But I like, like, like Sunday nights. It's, it's okay, but it's just not working. Our gathering of believers, and it's just there's just things that we're not really growing. We're not really touching our community like we dream about. And uh, he goes, Adam, move to Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings, I believe, is wicked, pastor. It's like the religiousness of our day. Adam, do whatever you want, but if you move to Sunday mornings, God will bless you. I came home and I said, baby, tell him. She said, I thought you said you were submitted to him. I'm like, oh. It was more of a suggestion. It wasn't like a directive. And she goes, but there's beauty. There's power. And there's protection in submission. He only wants what's best for us. I said, okay. So I started announcing everybody, we're going to get a building one day. And we got a Sunday morning service. I couldn't believe. All our 150 people were like, yeah. I'm like, what's wrong with Sunday nights? It's been wonderful. And they're like, oh, yeah, Pastor, it's been wonderful. Sunday mornings! <laughs> and, man, God gave us this building, and it's been supernatural. Why? He protected me because he had his, my best interest in mind. Because he loves me. Amen. He cared about me. He just wanted God to be able to move in our lives. I was in a church years ago, and the senior pastor, one of the guys on staff, he was in the video department. I'd become real close friends with him. He was in his 30s. He'd never been married. Miserable. Oh, he was miserable. Every day, pray for me, man. I need a wife. I need a wife. I need a wife. Pray for me, man. I need a wife. I'll never forget, he met this gal in our church. And again, when you're a 10,000-member church, you have people everywhere on Sunday service. And there's this one, one gal that he met where she had been recently divorced, and he fell in love with her. Oh, she was the greatest. And so I think they dated for about a year, and finally he said, I'm going to go talk to the pastors about, you know, proposing to her. You know, I just want to get their, you know, their advice and their wisdom. Went and sat down with the pastors. The pastors told him, don't do it. Wait another year. I'll never forget, he came back to the office. I was like, what did they say? He said, they asked, asked me to wait a year. I said, ooh, that's tough. I said, uh, so what are you going to do? He goes, I don't know. And uh, he grappled with it for a couple weeks, like indecisive, like if he was going to listen, if he was going to obey. And, uh, and he wrestled with all those concepts, trying to control me, trying to tell me what to do. He didn't know that the pastors knew some things about her past. 
And it wasn't right for them to share that with him. But she needed a little bit more um, distance from the former marriage for her healing. If he'd, have, if he'd have said yes right then and there, they'd married right away. It didn't matter that he'd been waiting for all these years. It was that she needed some space to develop some things away from the abusive situation she'd come out of. She would have brought that into that. And I'll never forget not knowing any of that because there's no way he could know that. He was here. They're giving oversight to him, looking down, going, ooh. So they asked him not to. And I'll never forget he submitted to that. I didn't think he would. I even was like, man, I don't know. Y'all go to another church, you know, and be happy. Rebellious. <laughs> and uh, I was young. I was young. Give me a break. And, um, and uh, he submitted to it. Waited a full year. I left the church. We moved to Dallas. We were in transition. And uh, I'll never forget he called me. He goes, bro, we getting married. It was like a year later. I was like, really? When's the wedding? It was a couple months from then. And he goes, I'm so excited. And he, I said, so, man, I'm really proud of you submitting to the pastors and that. He goes, P.A., you cannot believe what God's done in this year. He said, I would have short-circuited that. I would have had such trouble. They had my back. They had, they were only one. God's protection was over her and over me. We ended up in some, she ended up in some things with the ex-husband. And we had to fight that out in the court system. And if we'd have done that married, it would have only created some difficulties and her getting her kids. And it's just, oh my goodness, it's just a miracle. God uses submission to protect us from attack. That's what he does. I know it's not popular, but it's what the original Christians valued. And I think we probably are confusing the lost world because we don't act like Christians sometimes, especially in this venue, in this area. And so I'm calling you to submit to the Lord. I'm calling you today to submit to those that are in authority and in our nation and in things like that. I'm calling you to submit Submit yourselves one to another as, as unto the Lord. The body. Submit to the church leaders here. We got the, your best interests in mind. Anybody's abusive, and, and the Lord will take us out if we do anything wrong. That's God's plan. Would you stand with me all across the room? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place. Same time, 9 o'clock, and until then, we hope you have an amazing week.